There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've argued from the beginning that there is a U.S. imprint on every single civilian death inside Yemen. Uh, I don't think the Saudis would be conducting this level of atrocity if not for the support from the United States. Welcome to Season 2 of Deconstructed, a podcast from The Intercept. I'm Mehdi Hassan. If you're a returning listener, thank you and welcome back. And if you're a new listener, great to have you with us. I hope you stay for the ride. My guest today has spent the last few years trying to call attention to an issue that gets shockingly little coverage here in America. The war in Yemen. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy has been at the forefront of efforts to try and end US involvement in that horrific conflict. A conflict which would not be happening were it not for US support for the Saudi-led coalition that's been bombing and besieging the country for more than three years now. This issue is moving quickly, and if I were the Saudis, I would change my behavior, or there is going to be a congressionally forced disruption of the alliance. So this week on Deconstructed, when, oh when, is the US going to stop supporting war crimes in Yemen? It is, according to the United Nations, the world's worst humanitarian crisis. No, not Syria, not the Horn of Africa, but Yemen. Here is where they'll now be laid to rest. Children calmly digging graves for children. In Yemen, death has become part of the fabric of life. Since March 2015, more than 10,000 people have been killed. Tens of thousands more wounded and over 2 million Yemenis driven from their homes because of this vicious conflict between a Saudi-led coalition and their opponents, the Houthi rebels from the north, who seized control of the country in 2015. The Saudis say they're intervening on behalf of the internationally recognised president of Yemen, Abdurrabu Mansur Hadi. They say they're pushing back against Houthi rebels who are backed by their biggest regional rival, Iran. So it's become a proxy war, but it's a proxy war in which innocent Yemenis are paying an astonishingly high price. The head of the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, Mark Lowcock, said earlier this year, the situation in Yemen today, right now, to the population of the country looks like the apocalypse. The apocalypse. He went on to say... Unless the situation changes, we're going to have the world's worst humanitarian disaster for 50 years. For 50 years. The people of Yemen are suffering mass starvation, a countrywide famine, and thanks to the destruction of the country's water treatment plants, the world's worst cholera outbreak. Yes, cholera outbreak since records began. A million cases of cholera in 2017 alone. Remember, this is not a natural disaster. This is not the result of a hurricane or a drought or an earthquake. This is a man-made catastrophe. This is the direct result of a Saudi-led bombing campaign and a Saudi-led blockade of the poorest country in the Arab world. The UN says Saudi coalition airstrikes are responsible for the majority of civilian deaths. It says they've hit schools, hospitals, markets, even funerals like this one, which killed more than 140 people in Sana'a last October. Those are war crimes. That's what they are. 
war crimes. And to be clear, the Houthis don't have clean hands either. They've been accused of war crimes too. But the fact is that the bulk of the killing and all of the blockading in Yemen has been done by the Saudis and their Emirati allies. And yet the United States is still on board, still backing this horrific conflict because Saudi Arabia is a friend and you back your friends when they're carrying out war crimes. That's what friends do. Of course, Obama wasn't even considered a friend by the Saudi royals, but he backed them. This war began on his Nobel Peace Prize winning watch, not on Trump's. People often say Syria is the biggest stain, the biggest black spot on Obama's foreign policy record. I disagree. Yemen is. Because the difference between Yemen and Syria is this. In Syria, the Assad government, with the support of Russia and Iran, has done most of the killing. The US isn't directly responsible for killing most of the civilians in Syria. Whereas in Yemen, the Saudis and the Emiratis are dropping American bombs with American intel and American help. That was the case under Obama, and that's the case under Trump. Just last month, a Saudi attack on a school bus full of Yemeni kids killed 40 children. Children! aged between 6 and 11. And the bomb the Saudis used to incinerate those kids? Yep, made in America. Munitions experts tell CNN this was a US-made Mark MK-82 bomb, weighing in at half a ton. This number here denotes Lockheed Martin, one of the top US defence contractors. Why do they hate us? Hmm, I wonder why. The truth is that if it wanted to, the US could have saved those kids. And if it wanted to, the US could stop this brutal and merciless war. Just listen to Bruce Rydell, 30-year veteran of the CIA and a former advisor on Middle East policy to four US presidents. If the United States of America and the United Kingdom tonight told King Salman this war has to end, it would end tomorrow. Because the Royal Saudi Air Force cannot operate without American and British support. It could end tomorrow with a single phone call from the President of the United States to the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. Instead, what do we have? Secretary of State Mike Pompeo saying just this week that all's fine in Yemen and the US will carry on arming and backing this Saudi-led war. Because there's no sustained pressure on the Trump administration to end it. And there was none on the Obama administration either. Yemen has struggled to get any real or consistent attention from the US political and media classes, even on the left. The US is at war in Yemen. The US is a party to the conflict in Yemen without any congressional authorization. But when was the last time you heard Chuck Schumer or Nancy Pelosi mention Yemen? Or with the admirable exception of Chris Hayes, any of your liberal heroes on cable news? You'd think people in the US media might have noticed the big investigation by the Associated Press in August, which found that the Saudi coalition is cutting deals with al-Qaeda fighters on the ground in Yemen, recruiting many of those jihadists to fight alongside them against the Houthis. Think about the irony of that. This week, the US commemorated the 17th anniversary of 9-11. If I'd told you on 9-11 itself, on 11th September 2001, that one day in the not-too-distant future, the US government, the US armed forces, would be working alongside a coalition that includes al-Qaeda, you'd have laughed in my face. But that's what's happening in Yemen right now. The most sordid and cynical of geopolitical alliances. The most horrific and heartbreaking of crimes. And yet, shamefully, many of us, well... We just don't seem to give a damn. My guest today is one of the few members of the United States Senate who does give a damn and who has taken a loud and consistent stand against the war in Yemen. And not just since Donald Trump came to office, but during the Obama years too. 
Last month, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut attempted yet again to try and end U.S. involvement in this barbaric conflict by putting forward an amendment to cut off all U.S. military assistance to the Saudi coalition. But it was blocked by Senate Republicans. Earlier, I went to see Senator Murphy at his office on Capitol Hill to talk Yemen, Saudi and his own possible presidential ambitions. Senator Chris Murphy, thanks for coming on Deconstructed. Thanks for having me. Uh, You've been speaking out about the war in Yemen and the Saudi-led bombardment of Yemen pretty passionately, pretty loudly, pretty regularly, unlike a lot of other U.S. politicians. Why? Well, this is the world's worst humanitarian catastrophe. You have thousands and thousands of civilians who have been killed by uh, bombs. You have a cholera epidemic that's the largest in recorded history. And what makes it unconscionable to me is that this humanitarian catastrophe is caused by the United States. This is not something that the United States is watching and not intervening Mm. to uh, abate. This is a catastrophe that the United States is participating in causing. I've argued from the beginning that there is a U.S. imprint on every single civilian death inside Yemen because uh, though the bombs that are being dropped uh, may come out of planes that are piloted by Saudis or Emiratis, uh, they are U.S.-made bombs. The missions are refueled by U.S. planes. There are U.S. personnel sitting in the centers that decide the targets. Uh, I don't think the Saudis would be conducting this level of atrocity if not for the support from the United States. And it's unconscionable. And then I I'm sure we'll get into this. It's it's also you know completely contrary to our national security yeah. objectives in the region. So you say very clearly there that the U.S. is involved in this war. The U.S. government, the Trump administration, the Obama administration before it, has said the U.S. is not involved in the war in Yemen. It's just providing a bit of fuel, a bit of intel um, to the Saudis and Emiratis. General Joseph Votel, the head of U.S. Central Command, told the Senate in March. Well, you know, we're not we're not parties to this uh, to this no, conflict. But what we can we're not do. parties to this conflict. You don't buy that. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's 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 patently ridiculous. And I haven't met many Republicans or Democrats in Congress who believe that. Uh, as I said, we are inside the targeting center. We are flying the planes that refuel the missions. We are selling them the bombs. We are an uh, indispensable partner uh, in this military campaign. And so it just doesn't, you know, it belies common sense to suggest that we are just providing logistical support. So... Do you believe that the Saudis and their allies are committing war crimes in Yemen? Because that's what most human rights groups, that's what UN experts seem to be saying in unison. Well, listen, I would love for the UN to make a finding here. So the latest UN report is very careful in its terminology. If you actually read that report, it says that there are possible war crimes being committed inside Mm. Yemen. I mean, listen, I'm not an international human rights lawyer, nor am I steeped in the law of war crimes. What I do know is this. Um, In my heart, I believe that the Saudis are intentionally hitting civilian targets. Um, I just don't think that they could be making this many mistakes with such regularity. Um, And I've listened to MBS himself, who has said that time and resources are on the side of the Saudi-led coalition, which sounds to me like a campaign of starvation, a campaign of a purposeful uh, humanitarian uh, hurt. If there's a U.S.-made bombs being sold by the U.S., You've laid out how involved the U.S. is. The U.S. is a party to this conflict. And if the Saudis are intentionally killing civilians, then by extension, the U.S. is complicit in the intentional killing of those civilians. Uh, 
so yes, I would argue that the United States is complicit in the intentional killing of civilians. Pretty, now, that's a pretty stark statement for a United uh, States senator to make. You would think it would be a bigger deal. I mean, listen, at this point, you have to believe your eyes, yeah. uh, right? We have, I mean, the, the Saudis have basically said that the bus carrying the kids was a legitimate military target. Now, they, they, I think, still maintain that there weren't actually kids on that bus. That's ridiculous. There were. But the coalition has admitted that they are hitting targets with civilians. They just argue that there are also some military uh, targets uh, in those places. The U.S. knows this, and we continue to supply uh, munitions. We continue to supply targeting assistance. So you admirably are one of the few senators who's been trying to stop this war for a few years now. In August, you put forward an amendment to the Defence Appropriations Bill to try and cut US support uh, for the Saudi war in Yemen, especially after the attack on the school kids. What would that amendment have done and what excuse did the Republicans use to kill it? So that amendment certainly didn't go as far as I would like. I mean, my position is that the United States should be out of this uh, coalition. Uh, if the Saudis want to kill kids, uh, they should do it without the United States support. Um, but my amendment uh, didn't go that far. My amendment said that um, until we have a certification uh, from the administration that the coalition is not targeting civilians, we should withhold support. The reason that Republicans objected is because they were uh, ostensibly trying to keep new policy riders off of mm. uh, the appropriations bill. And so in in hoping to keep other policy riders from being debated as amendments, they objected to my amendment. But in your experience of dealing with your Senate colleagues, both Republican and Democrat, but these days mainly Republican in terms of supporting this conflict, do, are they, do they support it because they support the, the ostensible goals, if you can call them that, the Saudi coalition? Or do they support it because they just don't want to rock the boat with Saudi Arabia? But what sense do you get of why some of your colleagues aren't willing to oppose this war like you do? Well, you know, when you're sworn into Congress, you get told that the United States and Saudi Arabia have an unbreakable alliance and that you are uh, contrarian and far outside the mainstream if you question that alliance. Um, and so part of... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The support for the campaign is because members of Congress uh, just can't come to actually question the nature of the alliance in the way that I argue they should. Um, other members um, support uh, the coalition's campaign because they see it as a means to confront Iranian aggression inside the region. There are members of Congress who legitimately believe the United States should be actively involved yeah. on the Saudi side of the Saudi-Iranian proxy war in Yemen, in Syria, in Lebanon. Um, I disagree with that uh, supposition as well, but some of the support for the campaign comes from uh, the feeling that it's a legitimate means by which to push back against Iran in the region. You talk about the U.S. alliance and, you know, this Saudi-U.S. alliance has been around for a long time since, you know, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, 
Bernie Sanders, who I interviewed last year, he said that he personally does not consider the Saudis because they are sponsors of terrorism, in his view, and an intolerant regime. He said he does not consider them to be allies of the US. Do you believe that Saudi Arabia is an ally, a loyal, close ally of the United States today in 2018? Well, listen, it all they're an ally. So they're an ally, but they're an imperfect ally. They've got lots of problems that we should be much more vocal with them about. And is it fair to say that more and more of your colleagues are now opening their eyes to those problems? You've been trying to do amendments and votes on selling weapons on Yemen, and it seems to be getting closer and closer, those votes, over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I was a real outlier in 2016 when I offered the first amendment to stop an arms sale from the United States to Saudi Arabia. I got, you know, uh, I think 21 votes, maybe 24 votes, and even I was surprised that I got a quarter of the Senate. Uh, We now, on those resolutions, uh, draw 45 to 47 votes. And I would guess that if there is another other arms sale to the Saudis uh, to resupply their bombing campaign in Yemen, uh, there may be more than 50 votes. Uh, So this issue is moving quickly. And if I were the Saudis, I would change my behavior or there is going to be Mm. a congressionally forced disruption of the alliance. Some Some might say that given your own stance against the US support for this war in Yemen, wouldn't the sensible option be for someone like yourself, a senator like yourself, to not be voting for these big increases in Pentagon spending? I think you voted for this $700 billion Pentagon budget. Some might say the best way to end US involvement in these destructive foreign wars, stop giving so much power, money and influence to the Pentagon. So even if I supported the administration's campaign in Yemen, there is going to be some aspect of U.S. military policy that I will disagree with. Mm. And so I don't think that your rule uh, as to whether you vote for or against defense packages is that you support um, uh, the full extent of U.S. military objectives overseas. Uh, So I think the United States military is doing incredibly important work in a lot of places around the world. I object to our participation in the Yemen conflict. But isn't the big problem for Democrats such as yourself, who have taken this uh, very strong position against the war in Yemen and US support for it, is that, of course, US support, as you know, didn't start under Donald Trump. Uh, It started under Obama. It was the previous Democratic president who effectively gave the green light in 2015 for the Saudis, the Emiratis, the Qataris at the time, the Egyptians, to start bombing Yemen. Uh, so it's not just about Trump, is it? I mean, this, is, this goes beyond Trump. This is a bipartisan effort. I guess it would be a problem if I started criticizing our Yemen policy when Donald Trump became president, but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, I uh, brought I wasn't a, referring so much to you, I was yeah. to the party, the Democratic Party on this. It was a Democratic president who was in office when the Yemen war began and for the, and yeah, the, but, of the Yemen. yeah, but remember, so in 2016, I brought a privileged resolution to stop an, uh, an Obama administration yeah. arms sale to the Saudis, and half of the Democrats in the United States Senate voted with me. So I, I don't think that this is some massive Democratic conversion uh, upon the election of Donald Trump. I think that this is, I can show you a very clear linear path uh, by which uh, Democrats in general, but some Republicans as well, have been coming to my opinion as it's been um, harder to deny the brutal reality of the war. And would you agree, looking back, this will be a stain on Barack Obama's foreign policy record, Yemen? Well, let's remember that Barack Obama was changing his uh, the nature of our participation in that war at the end of the Obama administration. So Obama had actually pulled our advisors out of the targeting center because he was worried that we were taking part in human rights violations. He actually put on hold the PGM sale, the precision-guided missile sale, because he believed that they were going to use those 
those missiles to more effectively so you having target an impact, people like yourself. Yeah, so, so I don't. So I, I don't think you can you can say that the Obama administration didn't understand the problems inside Yemen. They were reorienting our policy in Yemen, uh, and I don't believe that um, you know had they had control of U.S. foreign policy for another two years, that they would have done what President Trump did. I think they would have continued down the road of curtailing our support for that war. Since 9-11, a lot of Americans have asked the question in relation to Muslims, Arabs, uh, people across the Middle East, why do they hate us? Where does this crazy anti-Americanism, this radicalism, this anger come from? Some would say, doesn't it come precisely from disastrous, amoral U.S. foreign policy decisions like this one? to back the Saudis as they bomb the poorest country in the region. A lot of people look at that. They see the US made bombs on CNN in the rubble of that school bus attack and say, this is why we're anti-American or whatever phrase you want to use. We're taping this in my conference room. And about a year ago, a year and a half ago, there were a group of Yemeni Americans sitting around this table explaining to uh, my office that inside Yemen, this is not perceived as a Saudi bombing campaign. This is perceived as a US bombing campaign. They know the Saudis are a part of it. And what makes it so much more dangerous is that inside Yemen are the most radical, most anti-American extremist groups, AQAP and ISIS. And so this isn't theoretical that maybe someday all of these radicalized Yemenis against the United States will find their way to an extremist group that may end up in an attack the against the United States. The, 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 the arm of al-Qaeda that has the most direct intentions of attacking the United States homeland, AQAP, um, is right there yeah. on top of this conflict. Reportedly working with the Saudis, according to the Associated Press. So, so there are these very disturbing reports that the coalition is um, you know, sort of looking at AQAP and ISIS as the enemy of my enemy, uh, mm. which they are. Um, they are both fighting the Houthis in places and forming some alliances with elements of these radical groups um, that um, are strengthening their hand. Uh, before we wrap up, you've talked a great deal in recent years about the need for a, quote, progressive foreign policy and international foreign policy, uh, more diplomacy, less focus on the military. I just want to get a sense of what that means in practice. And I know time's short, so I want to give our listeners a sense of where you stand on some key foreign policy issues. I know you're a politician, you want to explain each answer, but we haven't got time. So I'm going to throw some Lightning rounds? I'm going to throw, not lightning, but just kind of get where you stand. So for example, you weren't in, you weren't in the Senate uh, in 2003, but did you oppose the Iraq war? I did. I ran for Congress as an opponent of the Iraq war. And what about escalating in Afghanistan? Donald Trump has agreed with his former national security advisor, McMaster, to send more troops to Afghanistan last year. Was, is that something you supported? Uh, I was one of the sort of earliest proponents for a full withdrawal from Afghanistan in 2010, 2011. And moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, what was your response to that Donald Trump move? I mean, I think there will likely be a time and a place to do that. Uh, this is not that time and place. It is an inflammatory move that will make peace less likely, uh, not more likely. So I have long been supportive of that as our end goal. Uh, it's just a question of when the, right, uh, when the right time is. And just sticking with Israel, the blockade on Gaza. What's your take on that? Well, well, listen. It it, it ultimately uh, has draws the risk of being counterproductive if your goal is to have a Palestinian leadership that you can negotiate peace uh, with. Um, so I have been supportive um, of some of the steps that the Israelis have taken when there are real security threats that are posed. Um, but some of the elements of this blockade go beyond yeah. the mere security threats um, and seem often overly punitive. And and last one on this one. Iran, I know you're supported the Iran deal. Um, 
But when in the past you've said it's good to have the military option on the table, Obama used to say that line as well. Some say actually in the current climate with John Bolton around, with this new Iran group at the State Department, the Democrats should go into the next elections, if not the midterms, with, with some kind of proposition saying, you know what, we're not in favour of military. That shouldn't be something that's near the top of a conversation with Iran. Is it something, if not rule out, something you would poo-poo? Well, listen, circumstances change uh, and threats increase. And so I, I don't think you can categorically say that we would never, ever use military action against Iran or against North Korea. There could be a series of events in which that would be the logical extension or conclusion um, for a progressive or for a conservative. Yeah. Um, certainly, I have um, been very wary of the United States engaging in any preemptive action. And the one thing I think Democrats should very clearly run on is that any preemptive action uh, to try to take out an Iranian nuclear threat or a North Korean nuclear threat has to be pre-authorized by Congress. The president does not have the authority to launch a military strike uh, without coming to Congress first. And just on the domestic front, lastly, do you welcome the recent shift of the Democratic Party to the left? All these progressives winning primaries on progressive platforms. You've supported a $15 minimum wage. You've supported tuition-free college. You haven't supported Medicare for all, not the Bernie Sanders bill that a lot of your colleagues co-signed and co-sponsored. Where do you stand on this ideological debate, if I can call it that? Yeah, listen, I think we, the, the risks being an oversimplification yep. of um, the, the takeaway from these election results. Just a year ago, when Dan Lipinski was winning a, a, a primary uh, uh, in uh, Illinois, when Tom Pirello was losing his uh, Sanders-endorsed candidacy for governor in Virginia, we were talking about mainstream centrist yeah. r- Democrats being resurgent. So um, I, I, I don't think there is a clear narrative across the country. I think there are going to be moments when progressive candidates win because they're right for their district, and there are going to be cases where more moderate Democrats win because that they're right for the district. Um, but even moderate Democrats, quote unquote, are signing up for Medicare for all, fifteen dollar no, minimum wage. There's some things there is, does seem to be a consensus on. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, the the, the minimum wage should increase because costs are increasing, um, and I think we have all come to the conclusion uh, that it is probably an impossible um, um, task to fix our healthcare system upon this broken foundation. And so I've always said that I would support, uh, if I had to design the healthcare system from scratch, I'd design a single payer system. It's just a matter of how we get there. And in terms of defeating Donald Trump in 2020, late last year, you said you were, quote, ruling out running for president. But earlier this year, you merely said you had no plans to run for president. Where do are you they stand? Di- are they different? Yes, I think they're different. Where do you stand as of right now, September I love how all these sort of phrases get parsed as being It's very easy. Very are you ruling out running for president thing. in 2020? So very I, straightforward so, phrase. So um, I'm on the ballot in two months. And so I'm running for re-election in Connecticut. I've said repeatedly that I don't think it's in the cards for me to... To, uh, to run for the for the presidency. But, but you're no longer uh, ruling it out as you did last year. I'm running for re-election in Connecticut. I'm uh, going to focus on that. You're in your mid-40s. You've got lots of time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Senator Thank you Chris very Murphy, much. for joining it. us on Deconstructed. That was Senator Chris Murphy. If only there were more people like him in the United States Senate. The thing is, if you're going to stop this war in Yemen, you need to get his colleagues on Capitol Hill to pay attention. To you. Don't just listen to this podcast and get mad or sad. Call your member of Congress. Call your senator. Make your voices heard. Because while you've been listening to this show, kids in Yemen have been bombed and shot at. They continue to die from cholera, diphtheria, malnutrition, starvation. And they're dying because the United States of America is helping to kill them. But look, depending on how things go in the elections in November, 
Come next year, there could be a congressional majority in favor of withdrawing US support for this war. It's up to you. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept and is distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every Thursday. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or a review. It helps people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.